Second Peter chapter one, and we will read verses one through four. Uh, more verses I thought earlier to read, but I've got a lot to cram in here, so I'm cutting the verses from one to four. And the title of the message is called Faith by Righteousness. Faith by Righteousness. Some people might think I should have entitled it Righteousness by Faith. So we're going to talk about some of those things of why I chose to title it that. And the answer is right in verse 1. So let's uh, read verse 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, through which he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises, so that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Stop the reading of God's word there and get back into some of these verses here in a second. Over the years, I've seen a lot of misconceptions about faith not just in the obvious Pelagian, semi-Pelagian, Arminian camps, the works crowd, not, not just there, but also those that would claim to believe what we believe and hold to, Sovereign Grace, Calvinist Reform, theology. And we prefer the phrase Sovereign Grace here because it's that ancient truth. And these issues that I have seen over the years, and I just wrote down a few, would be connected to some of these questions, the following questions. What is faith? Where does faith come from? What brings faith to us? In other words, how do we have it? What does faith work? Uh, are there means that are connected to having this faith? What is faith in? Does the will affect faith? Does faith bring forgiveness? Do all people have access to faith? How is faith a gift? Can faith be an offer? Is faith a condition? Does God cause us to believe? And is faith alone? Those are just some things off the cuff that I wrote down that and a lot of them overlap and are connecting. And there's many, many more questions that, that pop up in this issue of faith and, and the misconceptions that are connected to it. And as with any subject, talked about this before in some of the preachers we fellowship and churches we fellowship stress this point. That as with any other subject and we ask these questions and, and many more, uh, we have to make sure that. We know what we mean or other people know what we mean when we are asking them. You yourself know you've been asked questions uh, from people that 
you say, well, I don't know. What do you mean by that? I need to know what you mean by the question before I, let's get that part straight first. And then you give an answer and even they might say, well, what do you mean by that answer? And so there's, as time goes on, this is the problem. As time goes on, more and more and more and more misconceptions build. And it's harder and harder to communicate because of past problems and misconceptions and biases and, and lies and so on and terms that are used to communicate. So it's a, uh, it's a struggle and it takes patience and uh, it's, it's a work that has to be done to clarify and make distinctions and so on. We know this. So let's get right into this. Now, there is a lot, I, I have a lot to say here and I, I'm hoping that God will give me the words and as usual, some of the things that I say are not in my notes and I just don't want to forget any major points that I wanted to bring out. So in verse 1, we'll set the context up. I don't think we're going to get past verse 1. There's some things that are really important that need to be seen here in verse 1. We, we talked about possibly considering doing a verse by verse through Second Peter. A few years ago, we did First Peter, verse by verse. But um, we might carry on and do that um, through the coming year, along with some of the other things we've got going in the series and all that on election. But pay attention to who's speaking and who they're speaking to. We know that's important when it comes to context. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So it starts out lining us up on who's talking. This is, this is uh, the apostle Peter, his second letter. He is, uh, and there's, let's not skip by here what he is. He is a servant. And we know that anybody that's involved in the ministry, and we know all the church body is involved in the ministry. And the, and the word ministry has written all over it service. You can't be a part of the ministry and not serve. And if you don't, serve there's something wrong but everybody in the church body is part of the ministry here it says and he's a he's an apostle here it shows the authority by which he speaks and we know this is the inspired word of god here in this uh letter to these people so here we go that's who it is it's peter he's a servant he's an apostle of the one and true christ that we worship Who's it written to? It goes on to say, to those specific group of people who have obtained like precious faith with us. So that's a specific, it's talking to believers, in other words. And we did this last week with, uh, we looked at uh, 2 Peter 3, 9. Set it up contextually. We, we got to know who's talking, who they're talking to. So notice here, this first word I want us to look at is obtained. Obtained, And we're going to look at some other versions and we're going to look at some words all through here. And I, and I hope it's, it's clear and not confusing and how we're going. It may seem I'm going a long way around, a roundabout way to, to prove some things. I'm going the extra mile and I, I think we have to. We're going to show how that this word is used in other texts, the same Greek word. Obtained means a it's a it's a prolonged form of a primary verb, so it's, it's there's action there. 
which is only used as an alternate in certain tenses. And it means to lot, that is determine, and by implication, to receive, especially by lot. His lot to be or cast lots. Those are some examples. Now we'll explain a little bit that word lot and also the word obtained, what some people how they might look at it a weird way that doesn't fit the text. Maybe what we're used, used to using it currently. And the word lot, too, is, is uh, not a very contemporary word. I think we, I remember before I got used to spell check, I would say a lot as if it was one word. It's two words, a lot. And when you get the word lot and kind of get it down in your mind, and I had to do that here in this text even more than I ever have before, and it starts to make more sense. A dictionary, a regular dictionary definition of the word lot is destiny, situation, circumstances, state, condition, not a condition to do something, but a condition you're in, position or predicament. So... I think that kind of brings these ideas together to start to form what we're looking at here in relation to obtained. And again, I want you to note here, this is a common use, a current use here as we look at the word also on a, an online dictionary for obtained. And, and this could take us in the wrong direction so that's why we, we want to keep everything in its context. I'm going to give you the current contemporary use. And some of these, if it's taken out of context, can actually oppose what we're saying. And I think you'll get it here in a minute. Obtained in an online dictionary means to, uh, and I'll, I'll point out the ones that, that may lead us astray in the wrong direction. It means to get, acquire, come by, secure, procure, come into possession of, pick up, be given, and here are three words that maybe might pervert the idea, in our text at least. To gain, I mean right away I just want to jump ahead and say, how did you gain it? If you gained something, how did you gain it? If you have something, you could say it's synonymous with gain, but you could make gain a perverted idea like you merited it. Which is another part of the definition. It would be earn or achieve. Gain, earn, or achieve can go in a scary, wrong area, direction. Also, attain, get a hold of, get, lay one's hands on. So these are ideas that have to do with obtained. So maybe if we look at some other text, go to Luke chapter 1, we'll start to see the same word used. And it'll start to make more sense and it'll hone in on the harmonious way that this word is used throughout the scripture. Luke chapter 1 and verse 7. I think this is very profitable to do this, to go to different texts using the same original word and see how it's used in that context. Not all words that are the same Greek word is used the same in every context. We know that with the word world. That's an easy one to see. Verse 7, Luke 1, and they, speaking of Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth, 
had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in their days. And it happened in his serving and the order of his course before God, speak, this is speaking of Zacharias, according to the custom, verse 9, of the priests, it was his lot, there's the word lot, it was his lot to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So looking at some of these definitions, the um, Strong's Concordance to lot, that is to determine, we could say that it was determined that Zacharias was to burn incense. The priests just didn't have the liberty just to do whatever they want. These are prescribed things that took place. And even to become a priest, remember in uh, Hebrews 5, you don't take this responsibility on yourself. You're not a self-appointed priest. You got to be from a specific tribe. You got to be appointed. You have qualifications. And once you're in there, you've got to do things the prescribed way. This is not a free-for-all. So this was something that was determined that he was to do ahead of time. Look at uh, the way it's used in Acts chapter 1. And the word obtained is used here. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of his disciples, and he, and he said, The number of the names together was about 120. And he said this, Men and brothers, this scripture must be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of David, spoke before concerning Judas. So here in this context, we got to see this, that He's talking about something has, has already happened a long time ago that the scriptures have said something beforehand about what he's going to talk about concerning Judas, what David spoke of before concerning Judas, who became guide to those who seized Jesus. Speaking of Judas, he was the guide. He brought him, you know, he uh, turned him over, betrayed him with a kiss. Verse 17, for he was numbered, speaking of Judas, was numbered with us, in reference to being uh, some of the disciples, and notice this, had obtained part of this ministry. He was a part of the group. He did some things that looked like service. He did some of the same things. He looked like he healed some people, did some things like that. He was given some things to do. And uh, what I want to say here about this before we go any further, it wasn't like, you know, when, when Christ started gathering up his disciples, it wasn't like, um, I can't remember the one guy's name on uh, the old sitcom, Welcome Back, Cotter. He'd always raise his hand, oh, 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 pick me, you know. Judas didn't say, like, have these overwhelming qualifications, and he inserted himself to be part of this group. Christ went and he picked these people. And he did it for a purpose. And we'll see some more information on Judas here in a minute in another text. So the word there is obtained. For he, Judas, was numbered with us and had obtained his part of this ministry. So he didn't earn it. We know it can't mean that. He didn't merit a spot. 
we see here that this word has to do with it was determined ahead of time. We know that by this prophecy of scripture that was read a long time ago when David spoke of him. Verse 18, indeed then, this one purchased a field with the reward of unrighteousness and falling headlong, he burst apart in the middle. His guts exploded, in other words, when he hit and all his bowels gushed out. You know the story, we've read it before. This is, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, this is the guy we're talking about, right? Go to John. John chapter 6. Talk some more about Judas. Judas Iscariot. Starting verse 65, I thought I would start with a strong sovereignty of God and salvation verse. It's related to our uh, original text we're looking at. You know the context here. Uh, Christ he fed the 5,000, it's way more than 5,000, but 5,000 men with the children and the, the wives. There was some estimated about 15,000 people. He was healing people, did a miracle, the fishes and the loaves, and he started preaching sovereign grace. John 6, 37, we're familiar with. Sorry to say, famous. it's a famous verse. We're familiar with it. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. He that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. 44, no man can come unto me except the Father would simply draw him. These are uh, classic uh, memorized verses, messages. Uh, in the last few weeks, we talked about these same people are the ones that will be raised up in the last day. And these are, these are offensive words that Christ is speaking to this massive crowd of people. And then he gets down to um, 65 here. And he said, because of this, I said unto you that no man can come to me unless it was given to him from my father. Now we know we asked some initial questions about faith. Who gets it? Where does it come from? How does it work? Right here, it's, it's starting to talk about it. No man, and the only way you come to God is by faith. This is what this is talking about. No man comes to me, comes to Christ, unless it was given to him of my Father. You've got to have faith. Does everybody come to Christ by faith? No. What does this mean? That the Father has not given it to all people to come to Christ. Now, wouldn't that be offensive if you heard that and you had some type of uh, investment in yourself and your own will and your own righteousness like a lot of people in this crowd had? Well, what happened? Verse 66, it's obvious it was the offense of the cross. Uh, from this time, many of his disciples, these are fake disciples. What did Christ say in another verse? He said, if you continue in my word, if you continue, you persevere in my word, you're in my disciples indeed. These, these people didn't persevere. It's because they didn't have faith. From that time, many of his disciples went back into the things behind what they used to hold to and walked no more with him. They were done. Then Jesus said to the twelve, remember whom he chose. Do you, do you wish to go away too? You're going to go away too? Simon Peter, same guy that wrote what we're reading from originally here in uh, 2 Peter 
Same Simon Peter. He answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we, shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have known that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered unto them, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? It's no mystery. It's cleared up in the next verse. But he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who was about to betray him, being one of the twelve. Now again, go back to the idea. Judas did not. He didn't earn this spot. He didn't merit this spot. Nothing in him had anything to do with being part of the twelve. That prophecy years ago, which what preceded that? The decree of God before that eternally that this would take place. I'm not going to go to the spot where they're at supper and, and Christ leans over and tells him, go ahead, go ahead and do it. What you're going to do, go ahead and do it quick. But that's there and we know that. Now go back to John 17. This was our, um, uh, Patrick read this in our introductory reading. And look, start in verse 11. I want us to see something here. There's a few things here uh, I want us to see besides the mentioning of Judas. Verse 11, John 17. And now, this is, this is Christ praying to the Father. This has been called the, the high priestly prayer. Shortly before they take him and he's crucified. And now, I am in the world no longer, but these are in the world speaking of the disciples, and I come to you, he's praying to the Father, Holy Father, keep them in your name, those whom you have given me, this is talking about the elect, in, in, in the specific context, this is talking about the disciples, and there's going to be a clarification here in a second, but verse 11 is going to apply to us on down the line here, and we'll see it in a minute, and it says, those whom you have given me, so that they may be one as we are. In other words, as we are one. Verse 12, here's the primary reason I brought us here. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, speaking of the Father. Those that you have given me, I have kept, and none, none of those that you have given me, is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Same scripture we were just talking about in that other text that, that spoke from the mouth of the pen of David concerning what Judas would do. Here again, Judas did not earn any spot. This was determined ahead of time that this would happen. Judas did not control it. He does. God does all his will. He declares the end from the beginning. This here is talking about the end of at least the purpose of Judas. God determined that end and then all the means in between. Verse 13, and now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. 
And notice this, I have given, because we're, we're, gonna, we're trying to tie faith into all this in our Second uh, Peter 2.1 verse about obtaining like and precious faith. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but for you to keep them from the evil. I think some versions might say the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He's pretty redundant about that. He, he spoke in another place. He talked about those that are, that are earthy. They're of the earth. Christ said, my kingdom's not of this world. Uh, we know we're crucified to the world concerning, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world's crucified, and I to the world about that idea, that truth, that is, which is the rule of our life, glorying in the cross alone. So there's a lot of distinctions there of the, of the separation of God's people from the world. Now look here, verse 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Now, take that idea back to our text concerning faith. Right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is what separates us, gives us an ear to hear the word. We hear his voice, etc. This is the means whereby which we are drawn to God. The God-appointed predestined means that God has uh, seen fit to use. As you, Verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And notice this. Uh, as we go through this message today, you're going to see a lot of things that are contingent on other things. We'll say, look, this happened. But why did this happen? What is the cause of this? It's this. Several things today that we're going to see. And here's one. We saw in 17 about sanctification through the truth of the word. And Christ says this, I sanctify myself for their sakes. We know in the covenant he was set apart to do this mission. And, and wouldn't you know that it matches the word of God, the word of truth matches who Christ is and what he has done. So Christ, it's, it's decreed, we know this, it's decreed ahead of time what Christ would do. Christ comes and he performs that truth in time. And then that is recorded so that we may know it. And we're set apart by that. And he has to set himself apart to do that. So you see all the connectors there. And none of it fails. None of it fails. I sanctify myself for their sakes so that they might be sanctified in the truth. He made that connector. I didn't make it. He made it in the text, 17 and 19. And here we are. We're brought into it right here, verse 20. And I do not pray for these alone, but for those who shall believe on me through their word. 
the recording of the performance of Christ, the word of truth, the gospel, the inspiration of scripture comes to us eventually on down the line and it will continue to until that last one is brought in. And then remember last week, fire will come down. It's the same all the way through. It's harmonious. There's no deviations. So there's the means laid out. And look at verse 21. And they all may be one, all the elect, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be one in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. And we know uh, in that last day, they're all going to bow. The elect are caused to bow in each successive generation as they're sanctified by the word of truth. And we'll get to that in a minute, how that it gives us uh, it's part of the means through the spirit to give us life so that we may see to bow to who he is and what he has done. And in the end, the world that is not part of us, that's, that's enemies of the cross, will bow to his lordship, to the glory of the Father. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Go back to our text and let's uh, look at another snippet of this line here where the next phrase is uh, like precious faith with us. They've obtained like precious faith. And again, going back to stressing, it's been determined that they receive this faith to no credit of their own, but it was determined that this would happen. This is their lot. Okay. Now, this phrase here, like, like precious. These two words are one word, and it refers to equal value or honor. The ESV, English Standard Version, is one that kind of stresses this in a, in a clear way. You hear people talk sometimes. Uh, it, it's kind of odd to me how that some people, and maybe it's, it's more common than I know, and I'm just not used to it, where they talk about like said or said blank referring to a subject and they'll go on and talk about and they'll say said subject or like subject well that's kind of like the verse that i read before this kind of is more clear to me uh, in a more contemporary way to say it to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of god and our savior jesus christ so it is a faith that is of equal standing with ours. And what this reminded me of is, you don't have to turn this if you don't want. I think you probably have it memorized. We've used it before. Jude 1, 3. Some would say Jude 3 because there's only one chapter. Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it is a salvation that is of equal standing that is all the same. I don't have a different salvation than um, Whitney. I don't have a different salvation than Rob. I have a common salvation. We have that in common that we have the same salvation that is equal standing 
we're all in equal standing with God. I'm not in any better standing. You'll hear some differences if you listen to some people today because some people are holier than other people, right? Among God's people, this is common sense. We can use that word, I think, rightly within the realm of God's people. We have this sense about it in, in that it's common, that it is equal. So this is primarily why. It's because of the merit of Christ is the foundation of the acceptance of every believer. So if we believe in the same Christ who did the same work that resulted in the same merit, we're saved the same way. Our faith our one faith goes to that one object. And we are, in that sense, we're all equals. It is of equal standing with everybody that's in it. So in the most simple terms, Christ and him crucified is the object of faith for all who believe. All believers are looking to the same object. They're not looking to different. It's not a buffet. You just can't. Hey, uh, you know, I, I know there's these different options. Uh, I like plan C, where it's this plus this plus this. That fits my formula. It's a proprietary blend that matches what I like. No. One. It's one thing. The simplicity or the singleness that is in Christ. That's why we say Christ alone. We're not double-minded. So nobody has, a, nobody has a leg up, so to speak, or an advantage when it comes to being loved or chosen. God has not conditioned these things on the sinner. But the manner in which he has loved and chosen is only in, by, and through God the Father conditioning it on Christ alone for Christ's sake. I can't get any more clear than that. There's no levels of righteousness or levels of holiness. It's ridiculous. Now, the next part of the phrase there, and we're, we're getting into the meat of uh, why I wanted to deal with this, this message and the title of Faith by Righteousness. The next part of the phrase is through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are three versions that I had access to, Bible versions, through my Eastward computer program, which is very valuable to me, and I would suggest it to anybody. Three versions, the Geneva, when I say Geneva, I'm not talking about some updated Geneva. I'm talking about, I believe it's the 1599 Geneva, which was before the King James. Ooh, some people, <laughs> there, was, there was a version before the King James? Uh, yeah, there was. The Geneva. The EMTV, which is the English Majority Text Version and the English Standard Version, uses the word by instead of through. Or in some other versions used in. So by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
This is why I titled the message why I titled it Faith by Righteousness. Now let's just look at the idea of in for a second. And we, we, we need to, and I want to include this as, as a no-brainer. Because when you have faith, you have it in something. But when you use the word by, it kind of shifts gears and it has to do with the cause. And I'm talking about the cause today, but I want to look at the look at the in first, the idea of in, if it's misconstrued. It's just referring to the object of our faith. We talk about faith in Christ, right? Now we know that's the focus of the gospel itself. Go to go ahead and Romans 1.16. I mean I don't think we'll ever stop going to Romans 1, 16 and 17. And if somebody complains about it, then I want you to do a message on why we should stop going to Romans 1, 16 17. I don't know if anybody's up to that. I don't think anybody wants to do that. Romans uh, 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power, the word Dunamos, where we get the word dynamite from. And that's that's some powerful stuff that explodes, right? It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So the context, Paul writing to the saints at the Church of Rome, and he's talking about this gospel that is has to do with our text, you know, the obtaining of like precious faith. Verse 17, for or because, that's important. It talks about this gospel that's the power of God and salvation. This is going to tell us why that it is the power of God. Very, very important. Why is the gospel the power of God and the salvation? Because, verse 17, in it, in that gospel, the one that's the power of God and the salvation, there's only one, right? In it. In that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, we know through many other messages that we've proved this out, that this is referring to a righteousness that was earned, worked out, brought in by the Lord Jesus Christ. As he obeyed the law, went to the cross and paid for the penalty of the law for his people. And this is the righteousness that God had on display through Christ doing this. That met the standard of God's character attribute of righteousness. So that God could be just and justify the ungodly because it met the standard. And what is that standard? Absolute perfection. Christ satisfied that. Now, from faith to faith, we've, we've said before that from the faith, the message, defend the faith that was once delivered to the saints, defend the message that was once delivered to the saints, the gospel, the word of truth that we're sanctified by. It comes from that faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God creates that faith in the regenerate heart gives them a new heart, gives them the mind of Christ, quickens them, 
gives them these spiritual gifts of faith and repentance. We know how that, that works and flows. There's a lot of stuff there. We could camp out there, but that faith comes from the faith, the message. They're united. One comes from the other. Faith comes by hearing him by the word of God, as I said a second ago. As it is written in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. So I'm going to just talk briefly about the just shall live by faith and kind of concentrate on who these people are, the justified, those that have been declared righteous, live, and back to our topic of faith in uh, 2 Peter 1.1. We know that Christ is said to, he is the life of the believer. He is life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Because as a substitute, a representative, and a mediator, he was crucified for their complete salvation, for the believer's complete salvation, that brought them justification, reconciliation, sanctification, and all the other spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus that were merited by him. He merited all those things by himself. And believers possess life. That is legal, primarily legal life. What is that? That's justification. They have legal life. They originally had legal death. They were condemned in Adam. That had to be reversed. The day you eat of you shall surely die. A legal declaration of condemnation was cast. So that had to be reversed of a legal declaration of righteousness. We'll see a phrase here in a minute that'll prove that out. Legal, spiritual, and eternal. Christ is our life in those things. So believers possess life, legal, spiritual, and eternal, by the fact that God has saved us through Christ and his people by or through God-given faith live to, Christ is already their life, but by that faith they live to the object of their faith, Christ, all the days of their life. That doesn't bring them life. They have life in order to do that. So those things really need to be distinct there. Uh, we, we had talked about what certain things are, what they look like, what, what preceded them, what caused them. Go to Romans 5 and verse 8. We'll see some of this here. I'm going to try to resist the temptation to camp out on certain phrases. I want to finish this. And if, if not, it's not the end of the world. In, in that sense, it's not the end of the world. Romans 5, 8. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I'm going to bring this up later in the election series. Kind of already did, but we're getting to the, we'll get to the, the, the lapsarian issues of the timing of God's love. It didn't say that he loved us while we were sinners. It said he died for us when we were sinners. There's a distinction there. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified, notice this, by his blood. This is referring to the merit of his blood. This is talking about that righteousness that's revealed in the gospel. 
by his blood, by the merit of it, he brought in, earned and merited, worked out this righteousness that he established to give to his people by the imputation of it so that they can have it on their account and they're justified by it. It says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That just means he's the propitiation, right? Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ is life. He performs things to give us life, justification, legal life, regeneration, spiritual life, and that we have eternal life. We know him. He's been revealed to us. And this is life eternal, that you may know him, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Verse 11, and not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. I don't know if you can see through that last section there, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. You could say this is another faith is a gift verse. I don't know if you can see that there. We receive something by faith. And it's by whom, speaking of Christ, we receive that. That's what our text said back in Second Peter 1.1. Now jump down to verse uh, 18 for lack of time. Verse 18, very familiar with this. This is uh, one of the, my favorite sections, uh, 12 through 21. But verse 18, therefore, I think this is a modern King James. I got it cut and pasted. Therefore, as by one offense, sentence came unto all men, to condemnation. Now, I, I, I'm of the conviction that this is talking about, even though we know all men without exception, all people without exception are imputed with Adam's sin, I believe this, this context here, this is limited to talking about the elect only. I think it's easy to see as we go through. Again, even though all without exception beyond the elect, are imputed with Adam's sin. Therefore, as by the offense, sentence came into all men unto condemnation, even so, the selfsame way, by the righteousness of one, that righteousness that Christ came and, and worked out, established, even so, by the righteousness of one, Christ, the free gift came to all men to justification of life. Justification of life. Justification of life. Got it? Legal life. There it is. It's not talk, this is not talking about regeneration. This is talking about a legal standing, really all through uh, 12 through 21. Now, I wanted to kind of hammer on that point that this context is uh, limited to speaking of the elect. Because not all men are justified to life can't be talking about all people without exception unless you're a universalist you think that everybody's going to heaven because Christ died for everybody and nobody's condemned in the end and we know people are condemned it's clear to see in the scripture so we can't go that route we have to look at all the texts in their context and um, that's pretty elementary really verse 19 for as by one man's disobedience 
many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, many be made righteous. See the word made righteous? Familiar with the text, 2 Corinthians 5.21? Christ was made sin so that we could be made righteous. But the law, verse 20, entered so that the offense might abound. Said that in Galatians. That's why the law was so in reference to the offenses. So you could see them, show them. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It, it, it hyper abounded. So that, verse 21, as sin has reigned or ruled, to death, legal condemnation, even so, grace might reign, how? Through righteousness, this is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel, that's why the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Grace might reign through this specific righteousness that Christ worked out, merited and established to be imputed for justification, justification, of life to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a lot of ideas in there that we can spend a lot more time expressing those ideas. Go to chapter 8, Romans 8, and talking about a lot of people getting it wrong, right here, is a, is a, <laughs> this is really screwed up by a lot of people. They flip it on its head. I saw it yesterday. I put up a post, uh, and I got to do it every now and then. I feel like I'm not—I don't earn my keep in the world unless I got to drop a nice, juicy theological gospel bomb of the pure sovereign grace of God in Christ. Just looking at what He did and leave it alone. And what happens? What do people do? But 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 you got to do this. It happened again yesterday. <laughs> Go look at it. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, as we get down through here, I'm going to just pick up the speed. Look at flesh and spirit as we get down through here. But the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. It is finished, right? That's what he did. That's what he accomplished. He established that righteousness when he was done. It says, uh, a short work will the Lord do, and he'll cut it short in righteousness. Romans 9, toward the end, that 30-something, somewhere around there. So it was a measured work. He did all that was required. He satisfied law and justice. And he said, all right, it's enough. That's, that's what God required. It matched his character attributes. This is enough. It's required. Actually, uh, we just read that it's more than enough. Uh, verse 21. It hyperabounded through the righteousness of God. Because the, the riches of the grace of God. It's been made sure. Uh, he is our surety, right? So he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. So that 
These are connecting ideas. Don't divorce them one for another. So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, <laughs> flesh and spirit. What's flesh want to do? We're going to see some more over here in a minute. Same, we're going to not leave this context. Flesh wants to establish a righteousness of its own. That's our nature. Flesh not referring to just merely human bodies, but the mindset of the flesh, the fleshly mind, leaning on the arm of the flesh, trying to establish a righteousness by the flesh. Uh, nobody is justified by the flesh, says in uh, several different places. So do you think in reference to what you do, you have fulfilled the law that really Christ fulfilled? <laughs> he, he's the one that said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He was going to establish it, fulfill it, magnify it, honor it, keep it. You don't do any of that stuff. We establish it by faith. But that's referring to the object of our faith who established it. We don't have faith that, okay, now we're regenerated and now we're now we have the kind of faith that actually keeps the law and we can keep progressing. And then in the end, we can say that we have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It's a personal righteousness, right? Uh, have fun with that. Ain't going to work. It's not going to work. Get rid of it. God's people do. They repent of that at conversion. Because they're not in the flesh. And that's what this text is saying. We're in the spirit. What do people in the spirit do? This is going to tell us here. Verse, it keeps on going. Verse 5. For they who are according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh. But they who are according to the spirit mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Are these new terms, life and peace? They've been talking about it all the way through Romans. And you get here and you're going to change what they are? This is not talking about sleeping with prostitutes and shooting heroin in reference to flesh. It's not talking about watching rated R movies. This is talking about two different states, two different positions, two type of statuses, two type of mindsets. Verse 7. For to be carnally minded is enmity against God. For it is the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Because there's no life there. There is an inability to even understand how to be subject to the law of God. So then, verse 8. They who are of the flesh cannot please God. Now, go back to this, this elementary idea of without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11. And again, going back to the obtaining of like precious faith, this is not something we pull from within ourselves. And this is a message not, I'm not going to exhaust this about all those questions I asked about faith, but you're starting to see some of the things that we go, some of the misconceptions that people have as we're going through some of these verses. 
Faith looks to the proper object, Christ. Christ is the one who took the law in his own hands and he did something with it. He fulfilled the demands of it. And therefore, as we're given faith, we look to the object of our faith and we count on him alone. We don't look to ourselves. If we look to ourselves, that's the flesh. That's what the flesh does. And this is the warning not to do that. So the carnal mind that is not subject to the law of God, but is rather enemies with God, looks at the law and doesn't hear what the law says. We know the law demands absolute perfection all the time. Curses everyone that continues not in the whole law to, to do it all, all the time. And if we don't hear what the law says, there has to be a certain aspect in which we see the lawgiver as not having the high standard, but yet it's lowered. Also, it's not that bad. We can just have a jump start and have something in us that helps us to perform the law so that we can eventually be accepted as we grow into it. Does that sound familiar? Sainthood eventually can be attained. There's a denomination, a big one, and they kind of have councils that vote on that to see who is a saint. Don't model your uh, sanctification on that model. It's not going to work well. So they are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot. They can't. They can't improve. They can't even get started to begin to get toward it. You know, the standard is absolute perfection. So the flesh cannot please God. Can the flesh please God after salvation? Those who are in the flesh aren't saved in the first place. So no, 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 <laughs> no. It's not Christ plus my flesh. In other words, it's not Christ plus the mindset of if I do these things after salvation, I'll be accepted. I mean, almost every New Testament letter has warnings against that idea. Look at this, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. So if the spirit of God dwells in you, you're in the spirit and you're not in the flesh. There's no in-betweens. It doesn't keep going back and forth. It's two states, and statuses and positions. If it's not that, we're done. We're, we're in trouble. You're on some sliding scale that, that, that you're making your own standard and you'll never have assurance. But if anyone has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And here's why we, I read all that. There's nine verses to bring us here related to 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1, in reference to faith by righteousness. Here it is. And if Christ is in you, indeed the body is dead, because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. Does that sound anything like our text that says that we have obtained like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's saying the same thing. Christ came, took on flesh, 
as it was decreed, he condescended down, was born of a woman, born under the law, took on flesh, two natures, perfect sinless humanity, perfect deity in this one body, and he performed everything from the cradle to the grave, perfectly met God's standard, not just in the letter, but in the in the mind, the intentions, the motives, the will, everything about it. He went to the cross and he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself for his people. And because of that, what came out of that, what he merited by that was the authority for the Spirit of God to dispense those spiritual blessings. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. See how that matches our initial text. Upon the ground of the established righteousness of Christ as he died for us, the Spirit of God can work in us by the merits of Christ as those spiritual blessings are dealt out. And what it, what is one of those spiritual blessings? Faith. Verse 11, but if the spirit of the one who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised up Christ from the dead shall also make your mortal bodies alive by his spirit who dwells in you. So you see all through all these texts that we look at, you have something that establishes the ground for something else to happen. I think this, I mean, I'm going to stop here, but there's enough about what we've talked about just in the tail end to do a part two. I think it's to drive it home more and to be clear about it. Again, I talked about misconceptions. We have people, when they use the phrase justification by faith, don't mean anything near what we just talked about today. They make it a condition which was derived from a well-meant offer that's available to everybody. And they have took that and they've made it work and they fulfilled that condition. And once they fulfill that condition, they can make Christ dead for them. That's some of the language that is used in some of the old writers. If you can believe this, Christ is dead for you. Christ is raised. He's life. He will give faith to his people. They will have the proper object of faith. Do you think God is powerful enough to cause, as he works in the minds of God's people, to direct faith in the proper object? Or is God so weak that it's just like anything goes? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Faith, ah, whatever, in what? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Multiplicity of things. No. Faith in Christ alone. Just like we mentioned last week, uh, I, I knew a guy who was a Reformed Baptist preacher who said that people who actually know they're believing in salvation by works and they say, I am believing that I'm saved by my works. He said that they are currently, presently, when they say that, they are converted. That's wickedness. So God is able, and he does, because it's all through the scripture. 
cause he works in him mightily. The same power it took to raise Christ from the dead. That's what my post was about yesterday. And this is the common salvation, by the way. This is the common to all people. They're caused to believe that one way, that one Christ, what he did by that one work. That was a complete meritorious, one complete whole work. And he said it's finished. And he was raised from the dead to show that the Father accepted that, which guaranteed our justification. And we're all in it together. God's people are in it together. We agree on the gospel. And the cause is not our faith. Spirit is life because of righteousness. This righteousness came before our faith. I will right, we'll stop there. Questions or comments? I got a song.